Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, then go ahead and grab it. We will be in the book of Philippians in our time today. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 18b through 26. And once you turn there, the B will kind of begin to make sense. So 18b through 26 of chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. So over the last few weeks, over the last few months, we've been going through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul through our study in the book of Acts, right? So he's been, he's been going all over the place, he's been everywhere, he's been sharing the gospel with as many people as he, he possibly can, he's faced outrageous opposition throughout, like he's been run out of towns, and I do mean towns, like plural like, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I've been asked to leave more than one town and not come back, I would probably not travel nearly as much. But yet he, he keeps on going, right? And not only being asked to leave, forced out of different cities, different towns, he has been physically assaulted, right? He has been beaten. He has been pelted with rocks until they thought he was dead, and then they left him. And yet... He continues on, undeterred. I don't know about you, but the, the question that comes to my mind is, like, how in the world can this be? <laughs> like, like, what drives a man to, to face that level of difficulties, that level of opposition, that level of physical difficulties, and continue on? Like, what leads to the, to the courage to, to stand in front of kings, to, to stare down riots, to come face-to-face with religious opposition, to spend time speaking to the, to the common person, and yet all the while preaching the same message of a crucified and risen Christ. Like, whatever he has, we need Whatever he has, we desperately need. And the passage we're going to look at in our time together really provides a window into the mind of Paul. It gives us the foundation, the why behind all of the willingness to go through that. And the reason I wanted to preach through this particular passage because at least for me, oftentimes I, I'll read through the New Testament or, for instance, I'll hear Pastor Daniel preach through Old Testament, New Testament. What, what I often think is that these individuals in the Bible are like superhuman, right? Like I, I could never do what they do. Like there's no use in really trying to imitate. They're in a class all by themselves. And, and in some ways that's, that's certainly true, right? Paul was unique as, as every single one of us are like I wasn't born where Paul was when Paul was I wasn't brought up in the same 
type of environment. I wasn't converted to Christ in the same way that he was converted to Christ. God uniquely made him, placed him, and gifted him for the task that he was to do. But that doesn't mean we, we can't be like him. And what we're going to see is, is the mindset that, that drove Paul. Like what drove Paul to continue on is not unique to him. In fact, it's the attitude, it's the desire of every single Christian. So the question is, what is that mindset? So if you're taking notes, here it is. Here is the mindset. Christ is more valuable than life. Christ, Jesus Christ, is more valuable than life. Therefore, since Christ is more valuable than life, our entire lives, our thoughts, our emotions, our words, our actions, are to center on Christ. There's a center on Christ, there's a center on His glory and the good of others. Okay, since Christ is more valuable than life, we are to center our lives on Christ, His glory, and the good of others. And then, if we do that, if our life is centered on Christ, then death is not feared because it brings us to Jesus who is our treasure. So if we center our lives on Christ, we understand Christ is more valuable than life, then we don't fear death. This is Paul's mindset as we're, we're going to see, but, but this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Like, this is a Christian mindset. So if this isn't your mindset, I'm going to be brutally honest. If this isn't your mindset, we have really two options. Either you're immature in your walk with Christ. Maybe you just came to faith in Christ. You're immature in your walk with Christ. Or you're not a follower of Christ at all. And I, I know that might sound harsh, but I want to be as clear as I possibly can because eternity is at stake. <laughs> if you don't treasure Jesus more than anything else, then you're not a Christian. And these aren't just my words. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 says this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me of me. We often like bypass that. I doubt you have a coffee cup, a coffee cup with this on it, right? Or, or Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler. He tells him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So this is what Jesus says, right? If you value, if you prioritize your family, your relationships, or your stuff, you're not following me. To be a Christian is to have your eyes fixed on Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. The one who puts his hand to the plow doesn't look back. The Christian 
Matthew 13, 44, is the one who finds the treasure hidden in the field. And then, in his joy, goes and sells all that he has in order to purchase that field. That, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to value Jesus more than anything else. And this is how Paul views all of life. Christ is the treasure worth more than anything else. And, and what we're going to see is that valuing Christ is greater than anything this world has to offer. It, it's gain, is what Paul will say. It, it's gain. And, and gain not just as an individual, for me personally, but it's to be a gain for everybody around us. Because when we love Jesus, we want the good of those around us. It's an outward-looking faith. So, with that, let's dive into Philippians chapter 1, 18b. Again, hopefully that makes sense when you're, when you're looking at it. Verse 26, or through verse 26. It says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... In the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but, that, but with that full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain." If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, yet which I shall choose, I, I cannot tell. I, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So let me pray. We'll continue on. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to, to be here, to worship you for your word. And God, I, I pray, Lord, before anybody else, I pray that this, this would be true for me. That in my life, and my heart, Christ would be most valuable. And God, I pray that this is a mindset that we would develop as a church. That we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God, that you would move in and through us for the glory of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. So, so what is the context of this passage. So Paul is in prison at the moment for sharing the gospel, but as we see in verse 18, right, he has reasons to rejoice. So, so why is he rejoicing? It, it's because according to kind of the section before us, 12 through 18a, the gospel message is still going out. He is in prison, but Christ is still being preached, and people are still believing. And in fact, the, the guards that are watching him, they've heard the gospel too. 
And so, so Paul's stuck in a prison cell. He's got guards around us that they can't go anywhere. So, of course, they're going to hear the gospel. So he has reasons to celebrate. And he's hearing about people preaching. Some are preaching with, with great motives. right? They're, they're after seeing God move in spectacular ways. And, and then there are others who are preaching from really less than great motives, right? They're looking to afflict Paul. So Paul's stuck in prison. We're going to take his place. We're going to show him how much better we are at this by preaching. And, and Paul says, in either way, into verse 18a, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, he says, and in that I rejoice. There's no hint of bitterness here. There's no hint of, I wish that were me. Christ is being proclaimed, so he has reasons to rejoice. And then we come to our passage, in which Paul says he's going to continue to rejoice. And yes, and I will rejoice, because he knows Look at the text, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So, so deliverance at, at this moment, in this context, could, could either mean one of two things. Either deliverance from prison or deliverance in the sense of being saved eternally. And both aspects are, are certainly true because we're going to get the eternal aspect in the passage, but, but I think that the most natural understanding of this is, is physical deliverance. That he knows he's not going to die in this particular prison cell. And, and I get that from the end. Again, we're, we're going to get there. That he's going to come and see them again. So he knows he's going to be delivered out of prison. But, but did you notice the two, reason he, two reasons he gives as the ground of that knowledge? Why he knows that to be the case. He says it is through the prayers of the Philippians and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That, that's how he knows. And I, and I think these two realities, the prayers of the Philippians and the help of the Spirit of Christ, they're, they're two sides here of the same coin. The Philippians are praying, God, please, our, our brother is in prison. He's planting churches. He's done so much good. God, please deliver him. And God, through his spirit, moves. He moves. And, and so I, that leads me to, to ask the question, when you pray, when you as an individual pray, do you really believe that God hears and responds, that he actually moves? Because Paul says that, that's the reason why he knows. I'm going to be delivered out of this. God's Spirit is going to move. You guys are praying for me. Because I think we're so prone to giving up in prayer when we don't see immediate results. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys are more spiritual than I am. But we, we pray for something for a couple days, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, but then we don't see anything take place, and so we kind of just kind of set it to the side. Okay, I guess that isn't God's will for me. But, but doesn't the, the parable of the persistent widow help us with this? In fact, from the outset, Jesus is telling this parable so that the disciples will continue to pray and not lose heart. I love it when the Bible explains to us exactly what Jesus means. 
And so he tells us this story, the story of a widow who wants justice against her adversary. So day after day after day after day, she keeps going to this judge. Now, this judge isn't a great guy, right? He neither fears God nor respects man. He doesn't care about this woman. But day after day after day after day, she keeps pestering him, right? And so this guy finally is like, I'm tired of this woman coming to me all the time. I need a break. I'll listen to her, right? And so Jesus pivots. And we hear this statement from Jesus. He says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So unlike this judge that very reluctantly finally gives this widow her justice, Jesus is saying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. God is not annoyed by your prayers. Don't lose heart. Keep on praying. Paul was delivered out of prison because the Spirit moved and the Philippians prayed. Both mattered. And so that's a reminder for us because I'm willing to bet somebody in here needs encouragement on this. Like, your prayers do matter. Like, not one prayer that you have prayed for your spouse, for your son, your daughter, your coworker, your neighbor, your child, whatever, not one prayer has been lost. Continue to pray. Pray for, pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray that God would save your neighbors, your coworkers, students. Pray for your classmates, your teammates. God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. And so Paul knows he's going to be delivered. And then verse 20, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. So, so it's Paul's eager expectation and hope. Th- those two phrases, this displays a certainty. Right? It's not like, I hope the Dodgers win the World Series. Like, I don't know. They might, they might not. Hadn't even started. This is certainty. Is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Now, now the verb tense for ashamed is actually passive, which means it's something done to Paul. So it's not so much I'll be ashamed, but rather I'll be put to shame. I'll have shame put on me. And I was, I was trying to think of how Paul would be put to shame. But then it, I think the main way is just being in prison, right? He's in prison. There's a level of shame that comes with that. Because he's being told from basically everyone around him, you're a criminal. You are a danger to society. It is better for you to be locked up. That, that's shame being put on him. And, and I started realizing like all the ways we as, as Christians can be put to shame. Like, like, for instance, we live in a day in which if you tell your coworkers that you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're going to be told that you're weird. And that's, that's fine, right? But we also live in a day in which you're, you're told you're hateful. You are immoral. You're a bad person because you are a Christian. 
Like, that hurts. We can put up a front, but you, you find yourself being told, hey, you're a bad person for believing in Christ. That, that hurts deeper than, than physical pain. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are sentences that you have heard come out of the mouth of somebody you care deeply about that have cut you worse than any knife. Like, it's been years, but you can still hear those words. Like, for instance, you, you have a father tell a son after a ball game that he's worthless because he didn't make the play. Like, that'll last longer than a thousand compliments. That's shame being put on that person. And, and that, that's shame that, that may or may not have anything to do with, with Christ. But it's still, we, we can see how that shame is put on us. For instance, you can, you can take the Muslim. A Muslim who who's, hears the gospel, is radically transformed by the gospel, and then is abandoned by his family. He's told, wish you were dead. In fact, you come here, we will kill you. That's shame being put on them. Paul is sitting in prison, being told he's a criminal, hearing about how much better these other preachers might be doing than he is, having to stand in front of religious leaders that, if you remember, Paul was a, a very good Jew before he came to faith in Christ. These are likely men that he has loved and respected and longed for their admiration, and now he's called a blasphemer to his face. There's opportunity here to be put to shame. But he doesn't expect that to be the case. Why is that? It's because what he values most is Christ. Shame being put on him from others is very insignificant compared to his desire to honor Christ. How can he stand before riots, be pelted with rocks, be run out of town? It's because his ultimate goal is to honor Christ. That's his goal. Do you see it? Verse 20. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. If, if I'm alive, I'm going to honor Christ. That's great. If I live, great. My goal is to honor Christ. If I die, great. I'm going to honor Christ. And, and that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Because we want to preserve our lives at all costs. Paul isn't being, he's not playing fast and loose with his life. Like, I don't care. Life doesn't matter. If I die, I die. But what he does is treasure Jesus more than his life. And, and that unnerves us a bit, I think, if we're honest. That unnerves us. We, we, we're not sure what to do with that. So let me, let me put it to you this way. Would you be thrilled if your child came to you and said, Hey, Mom, Dad, I want to be a missionary? I think most of us would be thrilled with that, right? We would celebrate, praise God. But what if your child came to you and said, I want to be a missionary to the most dangerous part of the world, 
They need the gospel. This is the darkest area in the world. They desperately need to hear the gospel. God's going to move, but it's likely I'm not coming back. So, so in that moment, in that moment, do you care more about the glory of Christ, the honor of Christ, the good of people eternally, or the safety of your family? I, I, I have a baby girl in the nursery, right? I, I love her deeply, and, and Sarah and I pray every night that she would believe in Christ. God, open her heart to believe in Christ. That is a refrain I say often, daily. But I also pray that she would be useful for Christ, that she would honor Christ, that she would glorify Christ. So, so would I for my almost two-year-old daughter, would I be okay with that missionary being her? Because again, everything works in the abstract. But you put a name and a face, and you'll find out real quick what you actually believe. So would I be okay with that missionary being her? And if, if I'm not, then my prayer is that God would make me. That my entire life is the honor of Christ. Whether that's me living, whether that's me dying, that's Paul's mindset. That's what it means to, to follow Christ. And I know you can argue like those, it's not always the case. Like those aren't mutually exclusive. But what if they were? What are you, what are you choosing? But but Why? Why is that the mindset? And he answers that in verse 21. You see it? He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, If I'm alive, my life is centered on Christ. That's it. As long as I live, I will spend my life, I will spend my time pursuing after Christ. I want to know Him more. I want to love Him more deeply. I want to obey Him more fully. Everything centers on Christ. He says, when it comes time to die, death will be gain." If you live this way, if we live this way, death will be sweet. It, it won't be the fearful monster that we're all terrified of. Our movies, our television shows are, are filled with death, but yet we so isolate ourselves away from death. You ever notice that? Like there was a time when people died. They died in, in the house. Everybody came to the house. Now... Now, there are exceptions, but, but people die in the hospital, the nursing home, like away, this, this sterile environment that I don't have to visit. Like, we push death to the periphery. It's just, it's just always out there. It, it's gonna, when's it going to get me? When's it going to find me? But if you live in this way, centered on Christ, treasuring Christ, loving Christ, then, then death isn't a, a fearful monster. It, it's a valet. 
ready to escort you. Like, sir, the, the car is all loaded up. Your bags are packed. It's time to take you home. That's death for the Christian. It's an escort from life to life. But, but gain is interesting, though, because we often equate following Christ with, with losing something or we, we try desperately not to make a whole lot out of the reward because oftentimes uh, if you do something for someone else and you get something in return, we often think it's kind of tainted, right? Like, well, he really got something out of that. It really wasn't just a good act. But what you see in the New Testament is that, is that pursuing the reward and following Christ is actually not wrong. It's actually definitional and essential to faith, to following Christ. You don't believe me? That's fine. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you turn there, we're going to look at two passages in this chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, kind of the, the hall of fame of faith. By faith they did this. By faith we did this. By faith we did this. Look at verse 6. The author says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, so without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I, I don't think it's a stretch here. To please God and to honor God, whether by life or by death. I think they're, they're synonymous, right? We're living to please God. If you live to please God, you're living to honor God. Does that make sense? So I think it, it's the same reality. Without faith, it is impossible to honor God or impossible to please God. So if you want to please God, then you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ crucified, Christ risen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So there's no amount of I did X, Y, and Z, God's pleased with me. There's none of that. There's none of that. You cannot work for your salvation. It's not, I came to church a certain amount of times. I didn't do this sin. Without faith, faith is the ground for our salvation. Faith in the finished work of Christ. It says it's impossible to please God without faith since the one who would draw near must believe that he exists. That, that makes sense, right? You're not going to believe in a God and try to please a God you don't think is real. That, that makes sense. But it's the next proposition. And that he rewards those who seek him. Do, do you see that? It, it's right there. So let me, let me shorten it out, take out that middle proposition. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he rewards those who seek him. All I did was take out that middle proposition. That's it. So you don't honor God, you don't please God if you come to him for something less than a reward. I'll say it like this. You can't be indifferent to God and please God. You don't show God to be glorious if you can be indifferent. If you don't care, then you really don't know Christ. We come to him joyfully seeking a reward. One more passage. Verse 26, chapter 11. 
So we're in the section talking about Moses. Verse 26 says, He considered, that's Moses, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for why he was looking to the reward. So so the reason Moses was willing to leave behind the, the prosperity, the wealth, the treasure of Egypt, which, if you remember from, from Sunday school, like, Egypt was it. <laughs> At that time, like, Egypt had it all. So, so why was Moses willing to leave all that behind? Because he found a better treasure. He says, facing the reproach, facing hostility, opposition for Christ is better than all of that. And what's the treasure? It's the reproach of Christ. The greater treasure that Moses found is Christ. Christ is our treasure. That's the reward of Hebrews 11. So when we seek to please God by faith, what's the reward we're after? Christ. What we think of reward, we can get into a lot of trouble because we often think of like health and wealth and I get, I'm going to get all this stuff. No, the reward is Jesus. He is the treasure. Why? You can go back to Philippians chapter 1. Why is death gain for Paul? It's because he gets Christ. That's why. He gets Christ in full. He reminds us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, now he, he sees in part. He prophesies in part. That's the living is Christ. No matter how much he knows Jesus now, no matter how much his life is centered on Christ now, it will always be in part. Paul says, but there's a day coming where perfection comes and the partial will pass away. That's either when Jesus comes back or we die in Christ. Paul says, in the presence of Christ, that's where my treasure is. Psalm 1611, in the presence of Christ, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Like, that's the gain. That's what we have to offer you. If you're, if you're new to North Roanoke, what we're going to offer you week and week and week and week and week is Jesus. That's what we have to offer you. And as the the missionary Jim Elliott wrote, I love this, he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I'll remind you, if you don't know the name, Jim Elliott was killed as a missionary. He was speared to death. This is not a foolish trade for Paul because he knew the treasure. He knows the treasure he's receiving in eternity is far better than any difficulties he will face on earth. Do you see that? Verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I'm I'm trying to decide here. I'm genuinely struggling. Do I want to live or do I want to die? My desire, he says, is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. He doesn't hate life. 
He loves Jesus. And it's far better to be with Jesus, Paul says, than actually to continue in this life. Brothers and sisters, if we can learn this mindset, like if we can, we can to the core of our being, get that Christ is more valuable than life, that he's worth anything and everything we have to give up in order to get more of him, and we're willing to live for his glory and the good of others, then we will see death as gain. And what we're going to see is if we live like that, reaching this valley and impacting the valley and, and reaching the nations will happen. I, I love this quote from John Wesley, who was an evangelist in the 1700s in England and in uh, America. He said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. I love that quote. And I'd really like to add that phrase in my repertoire. Like, I care not a straw. Like, I'd love to work that into my conversation at some point. We'll see. But he, he gets it. Give me a hundred people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and we'll turn this world upside down. He says, I don't care if they're clergy. I don't care if they're trained theologians or they're the common person just sitting in the pew. Give me a hundred who fear nothing but sin, desire nothing but God, and watch God work. And I think we, we can understand the desire nothing but God, but it's the, the fear nothing but sin. But, but here's the connection. If you are living for the honor of Christ, then you will hate and fear whatever dishonors Christ. That's sin. Sin, all of a sudden, isn't no big deal. It's something to be feared, ran, run away from, because it dishonors the one you love so deeply. So if, we, if this church would fear nothing but sin, desire nothing but God, then we will honor Christ in our lives, and death will be sweet to us, and this valley will be turned upside down. The school systems will be turned upside down. Families will be turned upside down because of Christ when we show him to actually be more valuable than our stuff. And, and this leads us to the final consideration of Paul's mindset. It's, it's outward looking. He says, as much as he would long to be with Jesus, he knows that, that at this moment, he says, it, it's better for me to continue working on so that others will progress. We see this in verses 22 and 24 through 26. Verse 22, he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So he's not content to just, like, wait and die. Like, if I'm here, Paul says, I've got work to do. Like, I'm going to, to work hard. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my life. I've got to get to work. I'm consumed with this fruitful labor. So let me remind you of this. You're not at your job by accident. I tell the students all the time, you're, you're not in your classes by accident. You may have chose, chosen your seat at random in the lunchroom or in the classroom, but you're not there by accident. You're not in your family by accident. You're not on your team by accident. God has you there for fruitful labor. That's to be light to those around you. He has you there to honor Christ in your life. 
and for the progress of other people. So, so don't miss out on where God has you. He has you there for a reason. And though it's far better for, for Paul to be with Jesus, do you see it? It's more necessary on whose account? On, on your account. For the Philippians. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for, for what? For your progress and joy in the faith. So he's longing them, he's longing to see them, to, to see them grow. And it's not just for your progress and joy. Like, I'm here to make sure your business goes super well. You build the house, like your family, there's no issues here. Paul says, no, I'm here for your progress and joy in the faith. So if we genuinely love other people, then we want to see them grow in their walk with Christ. Either believe in Christ or continue in their walk with Christ. And I love that the joy aspect is centered here. So to treasure Jesus is to have joy in the faith. You see that? Your progress and joy in the faith. Joy is not... An added bonus, it's part of following Christ. So Paul had, had joy. He's rejoicing. And he longs for the Philippians to have a joy that's in Christ even while they're, they're praying he gets out of prison. Like if you can have a joy in Christ when you're sitting at a funeral or at a hospital bed, tears streaming down your eyes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but understand Christ is still risen, that's a joy that won't be taken from you. And it's a joy found only in Jesus. That's the joy we need to pursue because we found the treasure of Christ. And to come full circle, look at 26. Do you see what the ultimate goal of even this is? So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in me? And Paul, because I'm, I'm so helpful to you? No, that so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The reason Paul is pursuing their joy, their progress in the faith is ultimately for the glory of Christ. This is the mindset of the Christian. Wherever you have me, Whatever profession I serve in, Christ is more valuable than life. Since he's more valuable than life, everything about me, my finances, my parenting, my possessions, everything centers on Jesus. Centers on Jesus and, and his glory. Not to make myself look good, not to build my own platform, to have my own ego puffed up, to do everything I want to do because I'm the guy, but for the glory of Christ and for the good of other people. Not, not just good physically, like I want to see people do well. I want to see people do well, but I want to see them believe in Christ and mature as a Christian. Church, if, if this can be our mindset, if we can treasure Jesus more than anything else, 
then when it comes time to die, (laughs) death will be gain. It'll be gain. This is what it means to be a Christian. Nothing less than treasuring Christ will do. So let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. And even though you have uniquely gifted him, Lord, this mindset of valuing Christ is not exclusive to Paul. In fact, it's what it means to follow you. And Lord, for for every believer in here, Lord, I, I don't know their stories. I don't know what they're dealing with. Lord, I'm willing to bet some of them are probably in some terrible situations. Some of them are in some great situations. But God, remind us afresh that Christ is our treasure. That he is the one we are to desire because he's better than life. He's more valuable than life. And that to follow you is not just to to pray a prayer or attend church or own a Bible or to not drink or cuss or watch all those movies or TV shows or whatever. To follow Christ is to live a life centered on Christ. I don't want us to, for the sake of simplicity, for the sake of an easy life, to miss the reality that the Bible teaches. So God, help us to take your word seriously. Help us to to live like Paul. Help us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Ultimately, we want to honor Christ. We want to love Christ. So that, as, as Christ even prayed, so that we obey him, we abide in him, so that his joy might be in us and our joy might be full. We want the joy of Christ as we treasure Christ. So help us, Lord. We need you. It's in your son's beautiful name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.